Um, I, I strayed away, and I was living as a man for about four years, and dabbling in witchcraft, and God has delivered me, and I'm so grateful. <laughs> it's so grateful to be comfortable to be myself. <laughs> All to God be the glory. <laughs> Risen again, newness of life. Amen. Can we celebrate? Well, God is doing a work in your life, Katrina. Thank you so much for coming and, and sharing your story with us this morning. And I know some folks know you. Some folks may not even realize that they do know you or, or have a connection to you. So could you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family? Yes. Thank you for having me. And yeah. thank all of you for being here. Um, so can my family please stand up? I am the daughter of Tim and Pam Husky. And this is my little sister, Lily, is here. Kina, you too. My cousin Kara and Nathan and um, that handsome man in the braids is my fiance. We are getting married on the 22nd. All right, coming up quick. <laughs> yeah, um, I was raised in a church of God um, that's in Guthrie and my, um, a lot of my family are still in church of God. And then we came to this church whenever I was about nine or 10. And um, I love this church so much. I have so much love. I love the Warners so much. They've been so, they've been like second parents, like godparents to me. And um, all like Jerry, Pastor Jerry and um, Sandra, I love you. Um, <laughs> and besides uh, the fam family that is here, I have nine other siblings or eight other siblings. And I have a sibling in heaven, Maria. Mm. Y'all might know her. She um, taught the kids here and mm -hmm. worked with uh, Novo Ministries. She was amazing. Yeah. Is amazing. Is she's still alive. That's right. <laughs> she is. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. She's one of my best friends. So, yes. yeah. Well, thank you for coming and sharing your story with us. And, and you just brought us up to speed kind of your childhood and, and your upbringing. But I know you're here to talk about the work that God's done in your life. And, you know, the light shines brightest when things around us get dark. And Katrina has a story about how you strayed away from the Lord. And, and what, so I want to just ask you first, what caused you to begin straying in your relationship with God and in the church and in your family? Yeah. Um, it really started with depression setting in and me isolating from my family and then being exposed to sexuality and porn and um, that really took a stronghold in my life and um, it manifested in um, homosexual thoughts and eventually in me wanting to be a man because I was, I was abused as a child and I was deathly afraid of being a woman. So I thought if I were a boy, that probably wouldn't have happened to me. Mm -hmm. And I, it was really um, a mask. It was really to protect myself. Mm -hmm. And um, so I just went more into that and I started doing testosterone and um, then like I really I really had a longing for God and for spirituality because I loved God when I was a child I wanted to be a missionary and um, so I like started learning about different spiritualities like Buddhism and Hinduism and Islam and just studying all of the things just try really trying to find God but like in my own understanding because while I was dealing with the, my sexuality and things, I really felt rejected by the church because anytime anybody would talk about it, I felt like a personal attack on myself because I had attached that to me. Like, like I am a lesbian or I am a boy, like, so they're attacking me. And, but, like, God helped me with that eventually. <laughs> but, um, so I just, I really wanted God, but I thought, the church was misled or that there was truth in every religion so I was really trying to find the truth and I was started doing like tarot card readings and things and Reiki and um, yeah that's, that's where he was. So this this crisis going on in your life led you down a, a path mm -hmm. and that path led you to, to certain lifestyle practices and to certain places. Could you talk a little bit about where you ended up, where you found yourself yeah. as you walked that path? Yeah, so I was, I like used marijuana and hallucinogens to try and find healing 
and a spiritual connection. And it, it gave me like a taste of the spiritual world without really giving me all that I needed. So it just kept getting me to come back. Mm. And um, I was like, the tarot card readings, it was like I was trying to talk to the Holy Spirit. I was trying to like talk to spirits in general and just trying to find truth. But it just, it was just a bunch of wrong answers and misleading stuff. And um, I was just, I was lost. Like I was depressed. I was just, I needed help. I needed truth. I, I was just longing for real connection with God and real truth. And I was just doing a bunch of stuff to, to find it, but it was misleading. Yeah. So I hear you talking about basically getting a taste of spirituali spirituality, but nothing would really satisfy. Yeah. It, nothing was meeting the deep longing in your soul and yeah. the need that you had. And so I have this question for you because now you're on the other side of things and I'm going to ask you to talk about what God did in a minute. But first, looking back, where was God in the middle of all this? Right in the middle of it. <laughs> like, um, I could really see the now looking back the battle that the devil and God was having for my soul and little bits of things that would lead me astray and the little things that would get me on the right path and just little soul urges that would bring me closer and closer. And um, like two or three years ago, I had a Reiki session where I had visions of several different like gods and angels and things. And Jesus was in the midst of it. And he said, follow me. And mm -hmm. he gave me a sandal, which later my mom told me that in the Jewish tradition, people would exchange their sandals whenever they are coming into a covenant with someone. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really cool. So yeah. it was slowly and steadily, God and Jesus were calling on me and trying to get me on the right path. And it just, it took time for it to fully manifest and for me to fully see it. Yeah, so he's right there. Your circumstances aren't great and, and you're being led in, in various ways, but you, you see now God right there in the middle of those difficult circumstances. Go yeah. ahead. And um, we were, me and my fiance were living in Oregon at the time on like a hippie community. We were taking care of chickens and stuff and building a house for free. We got to build a house and uh, we were doing like a hobbit hole and we had our tent in it. And one day we went off to work right after we had decided to stop having sex until we got married and our house went up in flames mm. with the tarot cards and everything, which I was going to burn anyways, but I was just taking too long to do it. <laughs> and so we really took that as a huge sign from God that we needed to start over anew. So I hear you saying, because this, this can be not the way that everyone sees their relationship with God, but I hear, I hear you saying, God's even using painful and difficult circumstances in your life. You believe that it's the goodness of God drawing you closer to him. Wow, what a testimony. Well, I want to know, you know, I believe God shows up for us. And, and in your story, we can already hear how God had never left you, how he was there. But, but he really showed up for you one particular day. And, and it was a, a life-changing experience for you. Can you tell us about the day that God really showed up for you? Yeah, like a few weeks later, um, my fiance Kina put on a Billy Graham message, which was the prodigal son. And if you guys haven't heard of the prodigal son story, it's um, a man took his inheritance from his father. He went and squandered it in the city on parties and girls and booze and whatever, like all the things you can imagine. And he ended up in a pigsty feeding the pigs and he didn't even have enough to eat. And he said, there are servants at my father's house who get fed way better and I will go back to my father's house and just be a servant to him because I don't deserve to be his son. And he went back and his father opened him, or welcomed him with open mm -hmm. arms, gave him a ring and a cloak and threw a huge feast for him. And I felt like I was that prodigal daughter. <laughs> and, uh, identifying as a son at the time, and, <laughs> and um, not only because of my relationship with my heavenly father, but also my relationship with my father, because he was, the car that he gave me, he said, if I give you this car, you can't get tattoos till you're 27, and I totally 
disregarded that and <laughs> disrespected that and got tattoos along with a bunch of other things that were disrespectful to him. And he loved me through it. Like I he I've heard of so many queer people being kicked out of their house or disowned by their parents. And my parents never did that. They loved me through it all and they were there for me. They didn't agree with what I was going through and my dad rightfully so said, you are being lied to mm -hmm. by thinking you're a man. And, but they were there for me and they loved me through it all. And <laughs> so, and he was helping me get that car fixed so that we could come home and be with them. Mm. And I was just, at the time, just hit by all the love for my parents, all of the love from God, and just with a full realization of who Jesus was and a full surrender to God. And then the next day, I was fully ready to be a woman. Like, I'm not even lying. Like, I'm not dressed like this to impress y'all or because I think I have to look like this to get uh, your acceptance. I'm dressed like this because I want to. Like, I, Amen. <laughs> God changes us. Yes. Like, I was like, like going through puberty and things, I was just so uncomfortable in women's mm. things and I just, I couldn't be like that. And now I do, I can, and I love it. <laughs> awesome, that is awesome. So here you are, you're in Oregon, is that right? And, and your fiance brings you this message, Billy Graham, the prodigal son. And it's like this message from the grave, from Billy Graham, but it's this message of life that God uses to change you when you realize that you're the prodigal. And so now you're talking about this change that's happened in your life and, and how you're different. You know, it was one way and now it's another way. And the thing that happened in the middle was Jesus. The thing that happened in the middle was God. So can you tell us a little bit about since that day, what's changed in your life? Yeah. So um, along with like the whole being able to be myself, um, God has also put us on a path like I, I finally have I knew I was supposed to be in the spiritual world I knew I was supposed to have a spiritual job and a mission and now I finally do and I know the path I'm supposed to take and I finally have full direction and me and my fiance have recently been giving given stewardship of a mountain like I was saying it was part of a mountain but it's an actual whole mountain in Texas from his friend Ben that we hopefully are going to be able to make a sanctuary for people and partner with Troy Brewer Ministries and Open Door, Ch Open Door Church, who they save people out of slavery and out of sexual slavery. Wow. And we want to create a safe haven for those people and also for addicts and anybody who need redemption and revival in their lives and just a place to get away to really connect with God. And along with, we've been um, working with Ronette and she gives showers to the homeless, and we've been working with... Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and food and all kinds yeah, of other yes, stuff. With the Christian Outreach Center, they provide clothes for, like, shirts are 10 cents and jackets are a dollar, and they give food out to people. And um, so, yeah, we've been able to, like, as soon as we came back, we had places we could go to get into the mission that we felt called to. Yeah, awesome. Well, praise the Lord. And, and you know, I, in your story, what's just striking me right now is that there was this point in your life when you couldn't even manage your own soul. You couldn't even manage your own life. And now, because of the work of Jesus, not only are you finding freedom in your life, but now you have this passion, this new purpose to help others find that same freedom. Am I, am I repeating that well? And I don't even want the, the things that I used to, like the old spiritual practices or smoking weed or doing hallucinogens or different YouTubers that we would listen to. Like they just, I no longer vibe with it. Like mm. I just, I don't want it anymore. All I want is God and the truth. And that's because of the change of Jesus. Is that right? Amen. Can we celebrate with Katrina? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Very grateful to have you here today. Very grateful for the Husky family being with here with us today. Can we thank them one more time for being here with us? Go ahead. And I have a verse. This, uh, this was like one of the first verses that really stood out to me when I got saved. Philippians 1.6. This is in the NLT. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will 
will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach, returns. Amen. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, that was worth coming just for that this morning. Amen. That was great. Thank you, Katrina. You know, I, I have a message that God wants you to hear this morning. And, and if you're in the middle of it right now, Pastor Jerry talked about this deficit and that God uses deficits to really make an opportunity for him to work in our lives. And could you not hear that in Katrina's story? Could you not hear the deficit in her life? And I want you to especially note her faith that God was using the difficult circumstances of her life to draw her closer to him. He is faithful to do that. And I think so many times we miss God because we're looking for him in a place where he's not showing up right there, right now. We have these expectations of God. I mean, you can relate to this, right? Have you ever been in one of those moments where you have an expectation of God and you're putting it on him as like a condition? You know what I'm talking about? Like, God, if you'll do this, then I'll do this. Those kind of things. Like, God, if you'll hear, heal this person that I care about, then I'll follow you. Or God, if you'll fix this problem in my life. Or, I mean, the classic one, God, just show me your real by giving me a new car and some nice money and, you know, that kind of prayer, right? And, and people pray these kind of prayers with a genuineness even maybe in their hearts, seeking God, wanting him to prove himself to them, but they're not looking for God where God has decided to show up. And I, I want you to know a relationship with God isn't going to be on your terms. It's not going to be on your agenda because when the Bible holds God up, when the scriptures hold up Jesus, it doesn't present him as somebody who is our servant in the sense that he does whatever we want him to do. The Bible presents Jesus as Lord. The Bible presents Jesus as the King of Kings, the one who is worthy of our lives and worthy of our affections. And you can hear it in Katrina's story. You know, the amazing thing about God is that when he shows up like that for us and we get the right view of God, he does a work in us that satisfies beyond any comprehension, that satisfies beyond measure. We think, God, if you'll do this stuff for me, then I'll be satisfied. But did you hear in Katrina's story that it wasn't, that she wasn't satisfied? If I can just do these things, I'll be satisfied. But she wasn't satisfied. What satisfied her soul? It was Jesus. It was a relationship with God. It was through the story of the prodigal son when she said, you know what? He has never left me. He loves me. And I'm that prodigal that left him and I'm gonna return back to him. That's the example. That's the story that we have this morning in the scriptures. That's the story we have this morning in Katrina, that God wants to use our circumstances to draw us back to him, to show us who he is. And you know, there's a story in the Bible, and this is a fitting day for this story. If you don't know very much about church history, today is Palm Sunday. And this is the Sunday where we celebrate the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And on Palm Sunday, it marks the beginning of what we often call Passion Week. And in Passion Week, it begins with the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And then after that entry, the days progress. Just a few days later, Jesus ends up in the upper room with his disciples. Do you remember this story, perhaps, where he's having the Last Supper with them and he's talking about what he's about to do for them? He says in those elements, this is my body. It's broken for you. This is my blood. It's being shed for you. They don't know what he means, but he's talking about it anyway and telling them what's happening. And then he ends up on trial and he ends up on trial even though Jesus never did anything wrong, he ends up on trial because of the wicked hearts of other people. And even though Jesus, as God, has the power to stop this at any time, he doesn't stop it. But the trial continues on, and it leads to his condemnation by, uh, he's condemned and, and appointed to be executed by the Roman authorities that were in place at that time, and by the Jewish leaders as well, who were calling out for his execution. And so he walks the road to the cross and and he ends up there on the cross and and he dies there and then he's buried in a tomb and, and on the cross 
That's when we have Good Friday. That's where we traditionally celebrate Jesus' death on the cross. We're going to get together this Friday and remember the work of Jesus. We memorialize it and we celebrate it. And you're going to understand, if you don't understand why we would celebrate the death of Jesus, you're going to understand it by the end of this message. But he dies on the cross for our sins and he takes those sins to the grave. And then after he gets there, he's, he's dead and buried three days. But what happens on Easter Sunday? He comes back from the dead and he proves that he is God because he conquers sin, because he conquers death, because no other person in history who has ever claimed to be something more than man has ever resurrected from the dead. But Jesus did on Easter Sunday. And that's Passion Week. That's the week that we're celebrating right now. We're going into Passion Week. So Passion Week begins with Palm Sunday. And that's where we are right now. And it's a fitting story, the story of Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. It's a fitting story for what Katrina shared this morning, because on Palm Sunday, we have these people, the Jews, who have certain expectations of God. They're expecting God to do something specific that they want him to do. And here's what they're expecting. They're expecting that God would come and deliver them through a Messiah, but they think that that deliverance is going to come by God removing Roman oppression. Okay, if you don't know a lot about this period of history, at this point in time when Jesus was walking on the earth, the Israelites, the Jews, were under the oppression of the Roman Empire. And man, they did not want to be under oppression. And the Jews have a history of being oppressed, don't they? And they did not want to be under that oppression. They wanted God's deliverance. And they were expecting a Messiah to show up. And they believed that when the Messiah showed up, that he was going to be this warrior who would deliver them out from under Rome. Well, the, they believed that because the scriptures talk about a warrior Messiah. The scriptures talk about someone who was going to come and deliver people. And so they're believing that. But there's some passages they missed. They missed a certain passage like Isaiah 53. And in Isaiah 53, the scriptures are prophesying about Jesus. This is hundreds of years before Jesus was born and walking on the earth. The scriptures are talking about Jesus and they're saying that he's going to come as a suffering servant. He's going to come and he's going to be crushed for our sin. That the father is going to be pleased to crush him. That he's going to be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. That the chastisement that belongs to us because of sin is going to be placed on him so that by his wounds we can be healed. Well, they weren't looking for a suffering Messiah. They were looking for a warrior Messiah. If God's going to show up, he's going to deliver us from Rome and they had settled it. That's what God's going to do. So they did, weren't looking for God in the right places. Do you understand what I'm saying? They weren't looking for God the way that God was planning to show up. But that doesn't change this story or the significance of this story because the truth is, even though they were looking in the wrong places, God did show up on Palm Sunday. And here's how he showed up. Zechariah, one of the prophets that wrote hundreds of years before the arrival of Jesus, said that when the Messiah comes, he's going to enter on this colt on this donkey he's going to enter jerusalem and you're going to recognize him as the king because he enters jerusalem on this colt and so jesus through these series of events actually kind of miraculous if you want to read it in luke 19 he sends his disciples into jerusalem ahead of him and they go and they secure this donkey and they bring it back to him and with great intentionality jesus receives this donkey and he sits on top of it and he begins to ride into jerusalem on palm sunday so if you caught the story so far what's he declaring What's the message that Jesus is proclaiming? What's he saying to all the people who know the prophets, all the people who know Zechariah? Because the Jews were familiar with the scriptures. He's saying, I am the king. He's saying, I am your Messiah. I am the one sent by God to deliver you. And he's riding into Jerusalem on this donkey. And you know, some people, the, the responses of people to the work of God, have you ever noticed that they can be varied that they can be very different, that some can respond well to what God is doing. Like God does the same thing. And sometimes someone's heart responds really well and another person's heart just responds really poorly. And God did the same thing. Well, here comes Jesus. He's riding on this donkey and some of the people are responding really well. Like 
Here, comes, here he comes and they're saying, Hosanna. We sang that this morning. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're taking their coats off and they're laying it on the ground and they're grabbing palm branches and laying it on the ground. That's why it's called Palm Sunday. They lay these palm branches on the ground so that Jesus' donkey can walk in in like this royal procession. Like, like welcoming him with pomp and circumstance. You know, this, this great rejoicing. I mean, it says the disciples are like jumping and leaping around and crying out and praising God. And th- really, they're making a scene. Like, it's getting uncomfortable, especially for those who aren't responding to God that way. Those people who aren't rejoicing at his coming. There's this other group of people who didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah. And so they were rejecting him they were wanting the disciples to rebuke him they're wanting jesus to rebuke his disciples they were wanting jesus to put a stop to all the praising they were wanting jesus to put a stop to all the worshiping they didn't see it was appropriate why not because they didn't see that he was god and so here they are asking this to stop and what's jesus response when they say they say jesus silence your disciples he says i tell you the truth if these were to be quiet even the rocks would cry out and praise like nothing can stop what god's doing in this moment god is showing up and no effort of man is going to stop it that's what he's saying well in the midst of this message you would think after jesus arrives in on that donkey and all these circumstances those people who were rejoicing wouldn't you think that they they would just be like excited and and things going well and because of that excitement wouldn't you think that jesus would be going yeah this is awesome you know this has been prophesied a long time and and this is this is the moment right here don't you think jesus like would respond in a positive way to this as far as you know rejoicing celebrating i want to point out to you how jesus responds when I read this this week, it's in Luke chapter 19, if you have your Bible with you and you want to see it. I'm going to have it on the screen as well. When I read this this week, I thought, you know, Jesus, this is kind of a downer. After riding into Jerusalem with all this fanfare, this this isn't exactly how I would expect you to respond. If I was writing the book, thank goodness I'm not writing the book. In this passage, the scripture says, this is right after Jesus says, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And then in Luke 19, 41, this is what Jesus says. And when he drew near and he saw the city, that is Jerusalem, he wept over it. What a response. All this welcoming, all this greeting, all this rejoicing. And Jesus weeps over it, saying, would that you even you had known on this day the things that make for peace they thought he was going to be this warrior king that would deliver them but what jesus is alluding to here is they're not getting it they're not understanding the purpose for why he came he says but now they are hidden from your eyes it's like a spiritual blindness the inability to see what god is doing kind of like we heard in katrina's story this morning For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you on every side and tear down to the ground you and your children within you and they will not leave one stone upon another in you. Wow. So here they are celebrating. Here comes the Messiah. He's going to deliver us from the Romans. And what does Jesus do? He prophesies about their destruction. And do you know that this prophecy came true? This happens, you know, around 30 AD is when this story takes place. And in 70 AD, Jerusalem fell. And this prophecy came about that Jesus spoke about Jerusalem. And he gives a reason. He says, there's a reason why I'm weeping over you instead of just joining you in your celebration. There's a reason why I'm speaking this prophecy over you right now, on the heels of all this celebrating. And this is what he says, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Let me say that another way. Because you did not recognize it when God showed up. God showed up and you missed it because you were looking for certain expectations that you had to be fulfilled. You were looking for God to fulfill your agenda. But when God showed up, he had something 
else in mind, and oh, it was so much better. He was the deliverer they were wanting, but he wasn't going to deliver them at that time from the Romans. He wasn't going to deliver them from captivity and oppression to another government. That would have been very temporary. What God had in mind was far greater deliverance. And so he prophesies and he tells the people, you're missing it. You're missing the day of your visitation. You're missing it when God shows up. Now, was Jesus right? Well, how can we know that Jesus was right? Fast forward just a few days until Jesus is on trial. And when Jesus is standing trial, though he's sinless and had never done anything wrong, he's standing up there on trial and the scriptures say that crowds gather in Jerusalem. Well, guess what? This is a bunch of the same people that were right there. Jerusalem's not like this massive, like New York City with millions. It's got thousands of people. And so many of the people that are gathering for his trial had also gathered for his triumphant entry on that donkey. And so here he comes and he's on trial. And was Jesus right? Yes, because the voices of those who were crying out, Hosanna, blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord, all of a sudden shift and they start crying out, crucify him kill him, execute him. Why, why the hard shift in a matter of a few days? Because he didn't meet their expectations. Because God wasn't doing what they wanted him to do and they couldn't see their day of visitation. They couldn't see that God was showing up for them. And you know what I'm so grateful to the Lord for is that even though at that time no one could appreciate what he was doing, even though at that time he had the power to stop what was happening to him, he saw it all the way through. He carried out the plan of the Father. And you say, what's the plan of the Father? If Jesus wasn't coming to deliver them from the Romans, but he was coming to deliver them, why was he coming? What was the purpose of this deliverance? What was he doing? Jesus understood the justice of God. Jesus understood the weight of sin. And he understood, listen to me carefully, that every single person has sinned against God and that that sin creates a crisis for them in their relationship with God. It creates a crisis for them in their relationship with others, but it creates a crisis in their relationship with God. And it's a crisis that they cannot resolve on their own. And it's very difficult for us to understand the severity of our sin, isn't it? I mean, can't we kind of coast through life and excuse it? Like, can't we just brush it off? Oh, I could have done better there. I maybe should have been smarter there, made a bad choice there, but I'm overall a good person. And what Jesus knew is that there was gonna have to be some way for them to become aware of their sin. There was gonna have to be some way for them to see their need for a savior, to see their need for God to act on their behalf because their relationship with God was broken beyond repair. And so this is what he did. In the justice of God, for the severity of your sin and my sin, what he could do is he could say, you're gonna suffer all that sin, all the wrath, all the pain, all the consequences for the sins you've committed. The wrath of God is gonna be placed on you. And this is where I say, listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen, because God wants to talk to you right now about, do you deserve that? Have you sinned? And does your sin create this problem with God? You have to acknowledge that right there before you can recognize that God showed up. Otherwise, like this crowd, you'll miss the day of visitation. Jesus died for my sin. And he said, you could bear all that sin for you. You could bear that sin for yourself. You could suffer the weight of that sin. But he says, you know what? Instead of making a spectacle of you to show you how bad your sin is, I'm gonna make a spectacle of my son, Jesus. To show you how bad sin is, I could make you bear the consequence for your sin right now and I could be just. But instead of putting that on you, I'm gonna put it on my son. You wanna know how severe your sin is? You wanna know how bad the sin problem is in the human condition? All you have to do is look at the cross because the Bible teaches that on that cross, though Jesus was sinless, he bore the full weight of the wrath of God for your sin and my sin. So you say, how bad is my sin and what do I deserve for it? Well, Jesus bore it for you. He took the stripes on his back from those Roman whips. 
the crown of thorns was placed and beaten onto his head for your sin. His hands were stretched out and his feet were stretched out and he was pierced with nails and hung to a cross of wood for your sin. And when they raised him up, the Old Testament speaks this, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. He was cursed by God for your sin. And while he's hanging there on that cross, suffering in agony and physical pain, the worst thing imaginable happens to him because God takes the sins of every person in the world and he places it on Jesus. And then the father, because he is so holy and he is so just, he cannot be where there is sin. He separates himself from his own son. And Jesus, dying on that cross in agony, yells out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God the Father turns his back on the Son as Jesus hangs there and suffers, not because he did something wrong, but for your sin and for my sin. Because it was the only way to make restitution for sin, because that's how bad sin is. And God says, instead of making you carry all that weight and take that punishment. I'm going to make a way of escape for you. I'm going to deliver you, not from the Romans. I'm going to deliver you from sin. I'm going to deliver you from death, from the bondage of sin, from the kingdom of Satan. I'm going to bring you out of the kingdom of Satan and place you into the kingdom of light. I'm going to bring you out from being orphans from God and children of wrath and disobedience, and I'm going to make you children of God. I'm going to deliver you out of the darkness and I'm going to bring you into the light. And they didn't even see the need in their own soul. They couldn't even see how bad they needed him. So he hung on the cross as a real life object lesson to say, that's how bad you need Jesus. That's how bad your sin is. And that's what you deserve because of your sin. And Jesus says, you know what I'm going to do? He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. I'm going to take your sin for you and bear it all so that you can have a way of escape. So that you can escape not Roman oppression. Yeah, that's bad. I get it. Circumstances aren't good. But I've got a bigger picture in mind. I'm going to deliver you from something that's eternal. Something that will never die. It will never come to an end. And oh, no one could see it. And he hung on the cross alone. And he suffered in agony and died alone on that cross. And then they took him down and they put him in the grave. And all your sins got buried with him. Because he took them all on the cross and he went to the grave and he took all your sins to the grave. And he didn't stay there. And that's what we get to come back next week. And I, I, I don't miss it. Easter Sunday is awesome because we get to celebrate that he didn't stay in the grave. You know, if he stays in the grave, we're not talking about this today. If he stays in the grave, this is a mute point. Lots of men throughout history have claimed to be something awesome when they really weren't what they were claiming to be, but Jesus proved it. Because after he took your sins to the grave, three days later, he rose from the dead, demonstrating that he has power. Amen. He has power over your sin. He has power over the grave that once, what once held us down in captivity and no matter how much we struggled, we could never be released. In a moment through the work of Jesus, he paid it all. Not because of some goodness that you did, but because of his goodness and his love for you. And when he rose from the dead, he spent some time with those disciples who were understandably confused. They were looking for a Roman deliverer, right? Someone to deliver them from oppression, a warrior Messiah. And even before his ascension, if you haven't heard, after Jesus rose from the dead, he eventually 40 days later ascended into heaven or sometime later ascended into heaven. And even right before his ascension into heaven, the disciples said, will you at this time deliver Israel from the Roman oppression? So they're still confused, right? They're still not getting it. And listen to how Jesus responds. He says, oh, the seasons that God has planned for that kind of deliverance, uh, that's in the father's control. He's, the father has that all in control. But you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. And not long later, the Holy Spirit came and filled them up. Because of the work of Jesus, God sent his Holy Spirit to fill them up. And they became his messengers. They were saved from sin. 
They were saved from the wrath of God and they became his messenger and they start going out and they're just preaching the gospel. They're telling people about Jesus and they're making them aware of their sin. They're like, you know, Peter, when he preaches that first message right after the Holy Spirit fills him up, he talks to those same crowds that praised Jesus on Palm Sunday and then crucified him on Good Friday. He talks to those same crowds in Jerusalem again and he says, you're the ones who killed the son of God. You're the ones who killed the Messiah. He's showing them their sin, but he said, and, and they feel cut to the heart. They're going, oh, I see it. I see my sin. I see the problem. They were getting it in a different way. And they said, because they were cut to the heart because of their sin, they asked Peter, what should we do? What should we do in response to this gospel that you just preached? What should we do in light of this good news of what Jesus did? And Peter says to them, repent and be baptized, each one of you, and you'll receive the forgiveness of sins. Because of Jesus. Not because they could find a way to escape, but because of Jesus. They turn from the way they were going, like Katrina's story, and God does this work to make you aware of your need, and they turn to God. And when they turn to God, this change happens. I mean, could you hear it any clearer than in the story that Katrina told? I mean, think about the things that were going on in her life before, and then God shows up. And it's not God showing up through giving her a nice house, nice car, healing a loved one that's sick, something like that. No, God shows up in a fire that burns down her stuff. That's what she said, right? That's, that's, that's her story. God shows up, this fire comes, and her circumstances really aren't that great right now. And in the midst of those things, he reveals himself to Katrina. Do you know why? Because God is willing to allow us to suffer in the physical realm, in order to make us aware of our need for him. That's what was happening for these people in the crowd. God was willing to even allow them to stay under Roman oppression. God was willing to allow them to suffer in various ways in order that they would see the better work, the greater work that he was doing to deliver them from Satan's kingdom to the kingdom of God. So now I want to tell you this to close. When Jesus entered Jerusalem the first time, he entered on a donkey. That's a really humble way to enter a city. Not some big old white war horse, but on the colt that he entered there very humbly in accordance with Isaiah 53, the suffering servant who came to take our sins and die in our place. But I want you to know something because I don't want you to miss your day of visitation. I don't want you to miss when God shows up, and I believe you're not here by accident, that God wants to show up for you this morning. Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he's gonna enter again, but this time he's not gonna enter on a donkey. He's not gonna enter in humility. He's not coming again as another suffering servant. He's accomplished that work. He's already suffered for our sins. When he comes a second time, he's coming back as warrior king. When Jesus returns a second time, and it is coming, he's gonna be on a white horse like a flash of lightning across the sky, and the world is going to fear him. Because he's gonna come, and when he comes, he will come first to collect those who belong to him. He will come to collect anyone who is his child. And you say, how do I, how do I be his child? Well, it's really simple. You need to recognize that you're a sinner. And you need to recognize that there is nothing you could do to pay for your own sins, and that's why Jesus died. He died on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven. And you need to decide, just like the scripture says, to repent of your sin, to believe in God, to be baptized as a sign of your faith in Jesus and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you'll receive the forgiveness of sins. It's happened to me, it's happened to Katrina, it's happened to many in this room. Don't miss your day of visitation. God wants it to happen in you right now. So he's gonna collect all those who have put their faith in Jesus. When he comes on that white horse, he's gonna collect them all. And oh, guys, it's gonna be awesome. In fact, you know, he didn't come the first time to deliver Israel from the oppression and the bad circumstances. And we still have bad circumstances in this world because of sin and the brokenness that sin causes and our fallenness. But someday when he returns, did you know he's going to fix the circumstance problem too? Like we're not gonna have all this kind of problem that we have right now. He is going to eventually change our environment. 
He's going to change where we live. We're not going to have the same sin and suffering. In fact, the Bible says that when Jesus comes back, he's going to wipe every tear from our eyes and there's going to be no more pain and sorrow and suffering. That that's the way, way in. Like when this is all said and done, that's where we're headed with God. So it's going to be good for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus, who come to God on his terms, not your terms. But for those who don't, he's coming back to condemn He's coming back as the warrior conquering king and he will annihilate all of his enemies, all those who have sinned, all those who are still in their sins because they didn't come into the protection of God through the work of Jesus. And when he comes back and condemns, it will not be a good day for those people who are not in Christ. And the question you've got to ask is if Jesus were to come back right now, which camp would you be in? Has Jesus forgiven all your sins because you've come to him on his terms and you've yielded your life to God? Or are you still lost and dead in your own trespasses and sins because you've resisted God? Because you've missed your day of visitation, because you haven't seen that God has shown up. God has shown up. God has shown up and best I could, best we can with Katrina's help this morning, we've held up Jesus for you to see. You wanna see what you deserve, look at Jesus on the cross. You want to see what he offers, look at Jesus coming out of the grave. That's what he offers you. And it's up to you. Don't miss your day of visitation. Don't miss what God is doing. If God is working on your heart right now, be soft. Be soft before the Lord. Acknowledge your sin. Repent of your sin and turn to Jesus. And, and you can do that right now. In fact, I want to lead you to do that. Would you bow in prayer with me? and in this moment right now is your opportunity to respond to God because this is your day of visitation God has shown up for you God wants to do a work in your heart like he did in Katrina's heart some of you have really been in some tough circumstances don't you see that those circumstances have all played a part in leading you here today? And that God is using all those circumstances, he wants to use all of them to make you aware of your sin problem and how desperate you are for him. Maybe you've resisted God because of your circumstances recently. Would you have a change of heart right now and ask God for his help to have that change of heart? God, help me to see your goodness through all the circumstances that I've been going through all the painful things because you're using them to draw me close to you, to make me aware of my sin and my need for you. If that's your heart right now, let me just tell you, you're right at the door. You are ready for Jesus because if you see your sin and you see how God has been good through all your life and all your circumstances to draw you close to him so that you would come to this moment, then just cry out to him and say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Save me from my sin. Rescue me from my own wickedness. Help me to see that you have shown up for me. I repent of all my sin. I turn from it. I repent of all the ways that I've blamed you for my past. This world's done a number on me, but you've been right there through it all. Just like Katrina told us, oh, God was right there. God, I receive you right now. Come and change my heart. God, if you don't change my circumstances at all, that's okay. Change my heart. Change my heart. Change my life. I yield to you. You are God. You are my God. I will live for you. I will worship you. I believe that you died for me. And I believe you rose again. And I put my faith in your work on my behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer with me, if you just talked to the Lord and this is the condition of your heart, I want you to know, in Jesus' name, your sins are forgiven. Past, present, future, not because of the work that you've done, but because of the work that Jesus has done for you. And I want you to know that Peter was really clear in his response. What should we do? Repent, that means turn from your sin, be baptized, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the first step you just took where you're seated. But the response of someone like Katrina, 
where God does a work in our life is it doesn't just stop with some silent prayer because if you get this, the world's got to know. If you understand what Jesus has done for you, the world's got to know what Jesus has done because he brought me out of darkness and into light. And Jesus prescribes a way that that needs to be done. And the way that that needs to be done is through baptism, the waters of baptism. And I just, this is what baptism is. It's real simple. The water represents a grave. And you get into that water and here you are standing there. And what you're saying is, yeah, in my life, I was a slave to sin. I was a child of wrath. I deserve the wrath of God. What Jesus experienced, I deserve to experience that because of my sin. And then we say, have you professed belief in Jesus? Do you believe that he died for your sins? Do you believe that you've been raised with Christ to a new life because of him? And you say, yes, I do. And we say, based on that profession of faith, we want to baptize you, our brother or sister in Christ, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you go under the water and it's like going into that grave. And what you're saying is my old life is gone. What I was is gone. My sin is gone. Just like Jesus went into that grave with my sin and he came out without my sin, I'm going into this grave and then I'm coming out. And when I come out, forgiveness of sins, freedom in Christ. I'm no longer who I was. I'm a new creation. And it's not the waters of baptism that save you. It's the work of Jesus that saves you and does that work in your heart. But the waters of baptism is the way for you to profess it to everyone. And what Jesus says, if you profess me before men, I will profess you before my Father in heaven. And so he gave us baptism so that we could all, you know, I, I bet a lot of you wouldn't feel very comfortable coming up here and talking in front of everyone or singing a solo. Aren't you glad that that's not what Jesus prescribed for you to profess that you're forgiven of sins? But the way he prescribed is something we can all do. We follow him through the waters of baptism. And if you've received Jesus today, while you were sitting right there, if you became aware of your sin, your need for Jesus, and you believe oh, God just forgave my sins. I'm a new person because of what he just did. Then this is your opportunity to respond just like Jesus and his disciples called others to respond through the waters of baptism. So this is what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to stand with me right now. And as we stand together, we're going to sing here in just a moment. And while we're singing... This is your opportunity to not miss your day of visitation. This is your opportunity to say all the stuff going on in my life, God's been using it to bring me right here so that I would find new life in Jesus. And so I'm gonna ask some of our pastors and their wives if they'll come right down here to the front and just stand here. And the reason they're coming is because they wanna be ready to receive you. So if you're available, you're a pastor or pastor's wife, come on this way. They're ready to talk to you about the work that God is doing in your heart. You know what? If you want to come and kneel here first before the Lord, you're free to do that. If you want to come right down and talk to one of these people, you're free to do that. But don't leave this place without recognizing God's here and he's shown up for you. Don't leave this place and miss your day of visitation. But this is your invitation to profess before men that Jesus is your Lord and that he's saved you from your sin and to choose to follow him through the waters of baptism. So Seth, would you lead us? Team, would you lead us? And as they lead us, would you come forward even now, begin to come this way and talk to someone about the work of Jesus in your life. His goodness never leaves us.